I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome to the Most Mouth podcast with me, Tim Sylvie, and Tom OF1, who's standing in for Harry Benjamin while he's out on commentary duties. This is the place where we meet a figure from the world of motorsport and dive into their lives and careers, often uncovering truths you never knew existed. We've sat down with Formula One drivers, team principals, touring car stars, Le Mans and IndyCar winners, famous broadcasters, content creators and pioneers, all to make sure that you get behind the visor and hear from the world's biggest and most interesting names. If there's anyone with a story to tell, they usually tell it right here. Check us out at motormouth.club, download our app, check out our regular Motormouth kart race where you can race alongside the stars and support our partners at Movember and the Brain Tumor Charity. And don't forget, please subscribe to our show, leave a review, it really makes a difference. Find us on all the major podcast channels. In the meantime, sit back, relax, and enjoy the chat. Hello everyone, Tim Sylvie here. Now, before we get into it, first... Tomo, Tom McCluskey, Tomo F1, welcome to the show, your debut on the Motormouth podcast from a hosting perspective. How are you? All of the above. Yes, I'm here to deputise. I've not quite got the silky smooth tones of Harry Benjamin, but I will <laughs> do my best. Okay. Um, it's a pleasure to be here, mate. Thank you for having me. Oh, well, thank you for joining us. And I guess you'll be here for a few weeks because Harry's off gallivanting around the world doing his commentary bits and bobs. So, um, You'll be here for right. a little while. He's big, big time now, Tim. He's big time, mate. You've got, you got to keep a leash on it. Remember <laughs> remember where you started, Harry Benjamin. <laughs> remember the small people. Um, now then, back to business. So today's guest hails from Avignon in France. So in honour of that, Tom, I thought I'd test you with a couple of Avignon-related questions. Now, you're a well-travelled cool, chap, so I'm expecting a good success right here. It's my specialist subject, Tim. Here we go. Number one, <laughs> what well-known river does Avignon reside by uh, uh the river avignon i see what you've done there but that's incorrect Trick question damn it <laughs> one one more go um okay what well known You'd to be honest well known rivers in in france I, I i'm i'm hitting a bit of a blank here i'm not gonna lie um i'm gonna say oh i, just, I think because I think I know what part of France Avignon's in. I, would, I think it's. I, I wouldn't know. It's south, I isn't think it? It's, is it south? I thought. I thought it was north. <laughs> <laughs> well, today's guest is the perfect person to clear up, <laughs> clear this up later on. I'm just going to say the river Le Castellet. Le Castellet. It's a good effort. It's the Rhone. <laughs> The Rhone River, oh, as, I guess, as in never Co- heard of it. I guess, as in Cote de Rhone, as in well, I don't know. Anyway, that was mean. Um, I'm not going to give you another um, Avignon-related question. I'm going to give you a motorsport-related question that is related to France. Okay, who was the last Frenchman to win the Formula One World Championship, and when did he do it? Okay, so I'm just trying to think of anyone other than 
Alain Prost, who won the world championship. Well, Alain won it in 90, in the Williams in 93. So I'm going to say Alain Prost, 93. Yeah. Oh, baby. Well done. That's it. Come on. Who needs Benjamin, mate? Okay. Come on. Okay, good. But how many times did he win it? Uh, He won it. Well, if it's a different point scoring system, he'd have won it a lot more than he did. Um, He won it three times. Four times. He he won it 85, 86, 89, had that gap. I always forget about 85. and Ah. And then won again for the last time in 1993. Um, and uh, although there's been French Grand Prix winners since then, no one who's actually won the championship. So it's probably about time they did. Um, with that in mind, shall I introduce today's guest? Just before we get into that, bear with me for two minutes. I must tell you about our new sponsors of the show. And it's one that means a great deal to us all on a very personal level here at the Motormouth podcast. In 2021, Dana, the founder of Motus One, passed away suddenly and without warning whilst visiting family in the States. Dana was one of my very best friends. The legacy he left with his family and his business is incredible, and I'm hugely humbled and proud to have his booming business as part of this show. Sponsors are vital for our survival, and make sure we continue to bring you interviews with the biggest names in racing. So if you or your company needs event transportation, look no further than the team at Motus One. They have you covered anywhere in the world, From a single chauffeur-driven sedan to a fleet of luxury SUVs, Teslas, or motor coaches, find your transportation solution with Motus One. They've got offices worldwide, including the Middle East, Europe, and Africa, and will support your transportation needs regardless of location. Motus One is committed to world-class service at the very best rates to ensure your event goes off without a hitch. Contact them at motusone.com. We'll put all their social links in the podcast description. A massive, massive thanks to Dana, his wife, Claudia, his kids, the rest of the Motus One team. Thank you for having faith in our show and joining us for season 12. Right, back to it. On with the show. I think that's a good idea, Tim. So today we're joined by Clem Novalak. He started in karts before progressing through junior motorsport with British F3, full-blown FIA F3 and into Formula 2. He's a championship winner, multiple podium placer and race winner. And we're here to dive into his life career, thoughts and opinions. Clem, a big warm welcome to the Motormouth podcast. Thank you for having me, guys. Clem, where are you today? What's the, uh, the background's not giving much away, mate. <laughs> I am currently in my bedroom. As you can tell, it's 9.30 in the morning, so I did wake up not long ago, uh, being a racing driver, of course. Um, (laughs) And yeah, so just in the UK at the moment, getting a few days rest before uh, having some sort of holiday as it's the the beginning of the, the summer break. Yes. And then right back into racing. Your your English is insanely good. How long have you lived in the UK? So it's not actually down to just living in the UK. I I went to British school ever since I was like eight. So I kind of am a French sort of Brit, if you could call it that. <laughs> I, I I was reading an interview actually. Do you, you consider yourself to be like European? Because obviously I know there's there's French, there's a bit of Swiss as well, and and British. So yeah, what kind of what kind of feels most home to you? Would you say that is the UK? I'll put it this way. I have a ha- well, my family has a house here. So definitely when I'm away racing, I really want to come back to the UK at some point. But I don't know. I have a feeling that whenever I go down to Port Ricard, being born only like 40 minutes away, mm. it's probably where I feel the most at home. But still, I mean, I love the UK. That's handy having a house here. So, so you, you're surrounded by family. You're not here on your own, just, you know, peddling your wares without anyone around you. Uh, at the moment, I am because they're all on holiday when I decided to stop traveling, if you know what I mean, and just take a few days at home. But um, no, yeah, I have my whole family around me, which is really nice. Very nice. Now, let's get, take it right back to the start, which is what we always like to do here on the show. When did the, the racing bug first bite for you? When did it first come on your radar? So back in early 2000s, I used to watch a lot of the F1 Grand Prix with my dad. So we sort of had this thing where every Sunday was sort of a ritual. We used to just sit down in front of the telly after lunch, enjoy our, enjoy our meal, and then watch the F1. Obviously, at the time, I can't really remember who was winning. With, I, think, I reckon it was probably Fernando or someone like that, because it was early 2000s, mid-2000s. 
And then um, I sort of asked him, look, I want to I wanna do something. I want to go carring somewhere. So we just sort of started from there, did a couple of rental car sessions like anybody does, I guess. And uh, it sort of caught on. And then I was like, look, I want to I wanna do this a bit more. I want to start racing. And um, I guess I don't know if my dad really enjoyed it because he always told me, look, racing is a very difficult sport. So when I told him I want to race, he was probably thinking, God, that's going to cost a lot of money. <laughs> and um, yeah, so I guess he, I don't know if he was extremely happy at, at the beginning about it, but I guess we had a pretty cool, pretty cool run together, which was nice. And uh, and at least we shared a passion, which I think if you compare it to my brothers, I ended up sharing a lot more memories with him because of the fact that I was away so often on track with him, which is something that got us very close. So did any of your brothers have the bug as well? Did they, were they interested in racing at all? Was it just you? They wanted to, but we sort of had this thing in the family where I guess they didn't want to interfere on what the others were doing. So like, for example, if my brother started playing drums, if I then started playing drums, he'd get really angry at me because he'd be like, that was my thing. So I think, I think they sort of respected the fact that I was racing. Uh, probably the last one wants to, wants to do a couple of test days at some point in a cart. So I'll, I'll try and coach him through. The- well, we, we've, we've got the motor-mouth cart race, 1st of September. Bring him down to that. Let's, let's test his method. <laughs> um, now, talking of karting, you, you obviously went through the karting route, as most drivers do. We've had one or two drivers on the show who, who actually either skipped karting or started really, really late. Do you think that it's imperative like that's an that's a stepping stone that you need to take as a driver to make it in the sport not necessarily i think that um one of the things it brings the most i mean gives gives the driver the most is probably the racecraft because in the end when once you step into cars it's so different that yes you do remember you know breaking points and so on and it does teach you stuff but i think that the key is the racecraft because you're so close there's so many moves happening. It's so hectic in a race that the moment you sort of step into cars, you don't have that many opportunities with obviously like if, if we're talking single seaters with the aero wash and everything, when the move is there for the taking, you have to sort of send it, if you know what I mean. Otherwise, you might not get that opportunity later down the road. And I think that's where karting sort of helps because in the end, you just nail it. Mm. Do you think um, also like being the age that you are and even the age... I am because I'm I'm touching thirty now. Um, but even for me, like growing up, video games were a huge part, and obviously now sim racing and, and that. You, you know, do you consider sim racing and being able to have have a setup at home and, and replicate that? Do you think that's a? Do you think going forward that's going to be quite a significant component of almost training going forward? Um, nothing replicates the real thing, but do you think that has a has a place? I guess. I mean, for sure. I I, I keep haggling my engineers about the fact that I have to travel to the Netherlands to do my sim stuff when I've got sort of a setup at home and I'm like can you just not send me the software and I can <laughs> do it at home instead of having to travel all the way yeah. there every time but um no for sure like in the end it's it's a big it, it plays a big part already in our lives as as professionals like we have to be there uh, before every weekend which is a bit of a ball ache sometimes but you know I guess that's part of the job mm. um but yeah, no. In general, I think that uh, even even starting out, there's a few drivers that actually did very well um, coming in from just a sim racing background. So it definitely has its use. Do you think it? Yeah. Do you think because like some of the drivers that you're you're probably referencing there is people like Jan Mardenborough, who I think did it in 2011. He was like the, the original um, mm. uh, bedroom oh, to yeah bedroom to racetrack racer. Um, do do you think? In a way, is that kind of thing good for the sport? Does it make it look a bit like, oh, I can just do this in my bedroom and I can go, if I'm good at it, I can go on track and, and race cars for real? I mean, does it correlate or is or was it with him, he just happened to have a lot of actual racing talent as well? I think it, it really depends because the, the thing that sim drivers have that might end up making them really, really good is the fact that they can repeat everything over and over again. Like when you put our lives into perspective, the higher up you go, the less testing you get. In Formula yep, 2 yeah. and Formula 3, you get six days before the season starts. So in the end, you're sort of there going, okay, I'm getting ready and oh shit, it's already happening. And mm. you sort of have to get in and be really quick to learn. 
And I guess that's something sim drivers don't have. But I think when it comes to the real thing, once they step into the real car, it being different, it is still a challenge because they also still have that little time to, to learn the thing. So, I mean, I think there's, it plays a part in the sense that they've got a lot of training. Uh, they're probably hardwired to break at the same place every single time when normal, I guess, racing drivers who've taken the normal route are probably more looser and loose cannons mm. and sort of break, where, break as late as you can. But um, no, for sure, I think talent also plays a part. Now, you karted right up until fairly recently in the grand scheme of things, 2017, before jumping into single-seaters uh, in 2018, where you were very, very busy competing in Euro Cup Formula Renault, British F3, which is hugely competitive, and uh, the Castrol Toyota Racing Series. I suppose this is the year you got your first meaty single-seater experience under your belt. How do you look back at that time? It was a big learning year, put it that way. Because um, obviously you're stepping in from karts. Karts was karts was a lot of fun. Like as a racer, whenever you look back at your career, I think karting is probably the one that you remember the most fondly because it's just. I remember being stressed on the grid sometimes in karting, and now I'm thinking, why the fuck was I stressed, mate? It's <laughs> like it's the most chilled out racing you can do. Um, but no, I think in the end. Um, it was a big learning year because I was prepared for a few championships that I did. I really struggled with the Formula Renault car. I don't know why. It's it's kind of got me the similar feeling to this year in F2 where I've been struggling quite a bit to, to get on tops of it. But um, yeah, I had, a, I had a difficult year in Renault. In F3, I was a bit too hot-headed because I managed to pull it on my first outing. And then I was like, pretty much crashed the first race after a shit start, which <laughs> Set up the season. Got head loss. <laughs> and yeah. And um, but Toyota, the, the TRS in, in New Zealand was definitely the highlight of the year because that was uh, crazy in the sense that you have five races um, on the bounce. You get to see all of New Zealand. And at the same time, yeah. the New Zealanders are a good bunch to party with. Yes. And obviously when you're 16, 17... Still on the <laughs> side, but you want to enjoy your 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 evenings with your with your fellow drivers who all tended to be older than me. So it was a uh, yeah, big learning experience. I, f- I feel like there's there's something in the water in New Zealand because I, I like considering the size of the country, they've produced so many like F1 drivers. And I mean, you've got Liam and, and Marcus in F2 now as well. And obviously, the Toyota Racing Series is such a kind of well respected championship. Like, what was that? So so did you kind of start in Auckland and then go down to Wellington and around. like how, how exactly did that play out because I love um, it so we went to so the first round was in uh, Christchurch so we okay. I landed in Auckland I had a, a very good experience because I ended up mass, like the trip down there was 28 hours right it's pretty it's a pretty long time so tough, I ended up um, getting uh in the second in the second flight after six hours i was extremely bored looked at the screen and i saw 14 hours to go and i was like okay this is gonna be fucking boring i've run out of movies to watch i don't know what i'm gonna do so i went to the back of the plane asked for a couple of gin and tonics and i was like i need to sleep so ended up getting those and obviously with the altitude you you do get a bit tipsy quicker and um managed to literally sleep it out and um when i landed no troubles with, um, how do you call it, the time zones or anything. Like I was back, ready to go. It was New Year's <laughs> Eve as well. So I was there oh, on point. Happy on days. And um, so I was in Auckland for a couple of days, then went down to Christchurch for the first round. Um, and then through, uh, what was the second round? Was it Invercargill, I think. Yeah, so through Christchurch to Queenstown, then down to Invercargill right at the bottom. Nice, yeah. And then pretty much North Island, we started in um, Taupo. Oh, stunning. uh, And then Mansfield, I think, for the last round. I might have forgotten one, but I can't remember where it was. But it was dope. It's a a great country. It's beautiful. It's It's the if you could if you could lasso New Zealand and bring it over to Europe, I'd 100% live there. Like I remember, Mm -hmm. I've been there a few times because my brother lives there, and you can just drive around these you know very normal um, roads, turn a corner, and there's like a hundred meter waterfall that no one cares about because they're everywhere, and it's just an incredible place. I did a bungee jump in New Zealand. You know the um, in Queenstown, they've got that Mm -hmm. Nevis one, which is like 
it's a 320 meter bungee and it's got like a six or seven second free fall. Um, but when you're never. actually free falling that long, you, you're like, this is never going to end. I was like, I'm, I'm dead. <laughs> this is it. Life's been great. I'd, ra- I'd rather die than even try that, to be honest, mate. No thanks. You wouldn't do I it. Did, I, didn't, I didn't have the, I didn't have the um, put it this way, I didn't have the courage to do it. I did end up I'm with you, Clem. Didn't have the kahunas. <laughs> Clem, you drive a racing car at 200 miles an hour. What do you mean you can't just throw yourself off a little cable <laughs> uh, car in between a couple of mountains? See, I didn't like the budgie jump because the thing is, at least when you're skydiving, you've got two parachutes. When you bungee yeah. jump, you've only got one elastic band. And if that thing snaps, you're a bit screwed. <laughs> That's a good point. That's a good point. That is a good point. Now, uh, listen, you, uh, you had your big break, I suppose, 2019 when you won the British F3 Champs. Um, dominated in a way. I think you won it with a race to spare. 24 uh, rounds, including a round at Spa. Well done. Round of applause. Um, was the um, was the championship win something that you had your eyes set on that year? Because you've still not been in at this point single seaters for very long. Was it expected? Did you were you surprised with your your success that year? Um, I don't like setting myself goals. I know that Trevor uh, Carlin does. So. For me, I was pretty relaxed in the sense that I came into the season and everything was rather relaxed and I was just trying to do my best. On the other hand, I know the team were put under a lot of pressure because pretty much Trevor said, look, if you don't win the championship, the season's shit to the team. <laughs> so um, the team were very stressed. I was quite okay. Um, but in the end, I wouldn't say I was surprised because I knew I think I had the speed from the year before with a couple of flashes like with Paul a couple of couple of podiums as well. So I was like, you know, I think I can do this. But at the same time, it comes first race and you're on pole and you win the first race and so on. Then you start to think about things and put everything into perspective and say, I think, look, if every, if every weekend goes well, I think I've got the pace to win. So then it sort of became a target, I guess, from mid-season onwards where I just needed to be, you know, extremely consistent, score points every weekend. and and. Uh, and try and get the championship, which we ended up doing, which was great. A very quick interruption to remind you to check out our sponsors, Motus One, the event transportation company. Motus One is the industry leader in complex transport management from hospitality, talent, production crews, VIPs, and artist transport. Motus One's team have got you covered. They've also launched their leading edge cloud-based event transportation management system called Motus Ride. Now you can manage your entire event transport program digitally. Make bookings, allocate rides, create approval processes, see reports, track costs, loads more. Head over to motusone.com and hear how they can support your event transportation needs. Back to the show. Because I think there's a broader kind of question, not just for racing drivers, but for athletes in general. It's like, how do you get the best out of them? And, and I think from your perspective, do you know what approach works best for you, if you know what I mean? So, for example, like some team bosses, a bit more arm round, like supportive, a bit more, like others can be a bit more like put pressure on and, and maybe like call you out if, if if performances aren't going your way. Like, what do you think gets the best out of you? I mean, I think it depends because sometimes it's good to get a slap, or at least for me, not a slap in the in the literal sense, but if you yeah. know what I mean, to, to sort of get slapped across the face and say, what the Cowboy clip, pull you your do? finger out, son. Yeah, literally, pretty much. Um, sometimes it's good to get an arm around as well. I think I think that's where a lot of drivers um, and a lot of coaches have become much better recently, in racing mm-hmm. especially, in the sense that, I'm not going to say they're psychologists, but they understand how we feel. Yeah. And it plays a big part in your performance as well because you need to be you need to be confident you need to be good in your head to to be able to get a good result and and some coaches are fairly old school in the sense where they go you know that was a shit job and that's pretty much all they're going to tell you all day mm. or uh, or they're going to be a bit more dive into the details take care but at the same time tell you you did a shit job which is I think <laughs> I, I I'm sort of in that in between. Yeah. What, what's um, Trevor like in that regard? Because we had him on the show a few months ago and he came across as quite a sort of gentle, calm bloke. Um, and he's obviously had huge success with Carlin. I mean, that team outside of Formula One is probably the race, biggest race team on the planet outside of, you know, those, those top, top Formula One teams. 
And he he had this sort of very calm demeanor about him. He's obviously brought through so many um, world champions. What's his style like on a, on a day-to-day basis? I mean, for me, he's always been very, very calm. Same as, I guess, he came across to you guys. He's, um, I think he's, he's very demanding in terms of uh, what he expects from the team. Because obviously, first, they represent his name. Uh, he wants results. And he knows that, obviously, racing being a motorsport, there's not just the driver side, it's also mechanical. So he, he, he does ask for the most from the team. And I think that's where he's, um, he puts, I think, a lot more pressure on. I think he understands that drivers sometimes need to be coached, but also sometimes need to be left alone. And, and so he's quite calm in the sense that he understands that a lot of drivers end up having their entourage already. So him being the team manager, he's more there to put an arm around you when something goes wrong mm. and tell you to push the gas when you need to pull the ga- push the gas, really. So um, now he's a top guy, um, really, really nice guy. And to be honest, I think being in his team and learning from all the people that he has around him and, and, and in the team ended up making me better than mm. probably elsewhere. Yeah, because do you, do you think that, you know, from your point, point of view, do you like to get into the details with the team or do you kind of just kind of allow them to lead? Because I imagine certain drivers, we know in F1, like Michael Schumacher, Sebastian Vettel, these drivers were like always wanting to go through everything on a, like a fine tooth comb. Like where do you sit on that, I guess, spectrum? Are you really into the details from a kind of a mechanical, technical point of view? Um, well, I see it as... I'm here to feel what's in the car. So in the end, um, I give my feedback. I try and be as clear and detailed and concise with it. And and when some of the decisions are being taken to change something on the car, I, I'd, I'd like to be involved in trying to understand and at least hear what they're talking about and see what I feel is going to be the best. On the other hand, I'm not an engineer and I'm not paid there to engineer the car. So in the end, I know that they're better at their job than I am, especially with my experience. I mean, when you mentioned Sebastian Vettel and... Michael Schumacher, they have, I don't know how many years in F1's experience. So, of course, they're going to be the guys looking on top of everything and make sure that everything works right. Especially being in a team that's been world champion, I'm pretty sure you understand the difference then between what's going to get you there and what isn't. But but I think for me, I'm once again sort of like in between. I I like to be involved. I know that it also motivates the team to to be around them quite a lot and to, Mm -hmm. to push them for those results. But at the same time, um, it's important to let them do their job because I'm pretty sure if they just gave me a blank piece of paper and told me set up the car, I would do it. <laughs> but, but, and are you, are you a driver who uh, is calm when you're driving? Like, are you one of those that gets on the radio and is like, you bastards, that strategy was a load of shit. What are you doing to me? Or are you, are you that kind of driver or are you that kind of like, um, I'm going to work with the team here. I get it, guys. You know, we win together, we lose together. You know, Lewis Hamilton style. What's your, what's your way? It depends how frustrated the thing that happened was. Um, no, no. I mean, in the end, if it's like, the thing is, if we make a mistake as a team and we like say it's strategy, most of the time we've discussed it beforehand. So if it's a mistake that we all did together i'm fairly relaxed if it's something that we couldn't see happening i'm also quite relaxed but if it's something really stupid then i'll get very frustrated if, if, so. it's, a, if it's a ferrari level strategy call yeah exactly yeah. see i wouldn't i would never pay for one of those legs to be on my pit while doing my strategy <laughs> <laughs> oh bless them yeah they're not having the best of time are they now uh you stepped up to full f3 in 2020 um you finished 12th in that rookie season which is admirable really for your first um, run at it the following year 2021 you finished in third there's obviously a bit of a pattern here to your progress a sort of learning year followed by really going for it and being at the sharp end Um, now you you went into MP Motorsport with a couple of races um, in uh, F2 and then followed by um, starting your first full season Um, how do you see your progress now and, and what are your aspirations for, for next season? To be honest, um, it's been hard. It's not, it's not been easy. I think that um, it, when you enter a car which is not really suited to you, not, not in the sense that the MP car, I mean the F2 car, where 
it's a heavy car. It's very um, sensitive to inputs and so on. It's not the easiest thing to get my head around at the moment. And obviously, when you're lacking testing, because there's so few days and you only get 40 minutes before quality, it can be a bit of a pain in the ass going into quality, not really expecting and knowing what to expect, especially with the with the tire gap as well, going from mediums or, or hards during practice to softs, because that's there's already a, a second of track improvement. And then there's another second and a half in the tires. So when you improve two seconds from one, Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com session to the next you're not driving the same fucking car it's a different car <laughs> so um it is it's been hard in that sense for qualifying i think on race pace is where we've made the most improvement because in the end it's sort of a bit of a an annoying regular occurrence at the moment but qualifying sort of down in p14 to p16 p17 and then always coming back in the points on sunday with the, with the strategy and the, and the and the race pace so I guess the race pace has been one of the strongest this year, um, but it's just a case of keeping my head down and trying to nail qualifying because I think that once that's sorted out, we can score points regularly. Obviously, the reverse grid and reverse top 10 sort of helps you out because, I mean, when you look at it in the grand scheme of things, I'm, I put my hands together for someone like Enzo uh, Fittipaldi. Mm. The, the guy's not been qualifying super, super well, but he's always been in the top 10. And I think he's probably been the most consistent driver on that grid. And in the end, scoring was left, right, and center. The guy's P4 in the championship, but yeah. he hasn't you know, won a race or been incredibly fast like some of the guys you'd see up front when you think mm. Porsche, Drugovic, or even Logan. So, yeah, I think, I think, unfortunately, we haven't got the qualifying pace yet, or I haven't, but um, that's where I'm putting all my hard work. Yeah, for sure. Cause, yeah, and Enzo's been killing it this year. I've been super impressed, like kind of out of nowhere as well. But obviously you've got Felipe as a teammate um, who's leading the championship at the moment. And ha- has it helped you having it? Because what is his third year in F2, isn't it? And his second year at MP. So obviously with his experience working with that team as well, inevitably that's going to, you know, that, that trickle down and, and working with a teammate with that much experience must help you out a lot, surely. Yeah, of course. I mean, I think that uh, firstly, he's he's extremely well embedded in the team because in the end, he, he did his first year there coming off a particularly hard year with Carlin in F3 and sort of delivered straight away. Now, um, at the same time, I love the guy. He's super, super nice. One of the Actually, one of the nicest people in the paddock that I'd probably get along the most with because in the end, he hasn't got that sort of, um, how could you say, sort of, selfish approach to racing where you sort of try and keep your own let's yeah, say yeah. stuff yeah you've got behind. agenda yeah yeah if, if i have a question to ask he'll be the first one to answer and say nice something. yeah so it's it, it's really useful having someone as well with so much experience because i think he knows what he's he, he yeah he knows what he's doing he's leading the championship so he's definitely got a clue and um now he's he's on top of things and it, it's good to have that it can be hard as well because obviously when you're when you're struggling and you've got your teammate always in the top four in quality or something like this, for sure, mentally, it can be quite draining. And sometimes you're just like, oh, why couldn't I put it together? Like, what's the difference <laughs> between me and him? Like, mm. But at the same time, it's useful because you just get the best data that you can, you can ask for. You get the best feedback. You know how he's talking to the engineers and so on. 
So at the same time, it can be quite draining, but at the same time, I'm very thankful for it because I know that down the line, it will help me out. So yeah. I guess it's, it's, it's a good experience. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. You, you're going to learn more from, uh, I think this is, you know, the, the, the things that are difficult you're struggling with at the moment, you're, you know, you'll look back fondly on because you'll be like, you learn more from the, mis- the, the mistakes, the things that don't go well than, than if you just win all the time. That's boring as well, surely. <laughs> Yeah, well, and you know what? I pick <laughs> all the time over having some some hard times, but well, I mean, he's like to Tomo's point. He's he's been there longer. I mean, going back to your pattern, you have your learning year. I mean, people can't ex- be expected to hit the ground running immediately in a new championship, particularly with such a different car. And you mentioned the car is a, is a big, heavy car. What else is the? Did you notice in that step up from F three to F two? Is it is it a big gap, or did you get in there? I know you know you said you're struggling with the car a little bit at the moment, but did you feel kind of comfortable and and yes, this is familiar and the brakes are not too far away from what I'm used to, the acceleration and the top speed, or is there a bigger gap than people may realise? No, I think in the end it's it's fairly similar because you step up from F three to F two, you get carbon brakes, so much better mm-hmm. performance. So in the end. A lot of the things that I used to do in F3 in terms of breakpoints and, and speeds themselves, because you're so low to the ground and you see so far away from the car that you don't actually realize how quickly you're really going. Um, in the end, it's, been, it's not been the hardest transition in terms of feeling of, of like driving, let's say, like the driving in itself. I think the, the, key, the key thing is that in an F3 car, you can be fairly consistent and make not i wouldn't say tiny little mistakes but tiny differences in terms of the driving like say brake pressure on on your release you could be three four bars or which is the equivalent like two three kilos different and it wouldn't make a huge change because the car in itself is so light that the weight transfers don't affect it so much but the moment you step into an f2 car and it's another 150 kilos on top you feel it because Mm. the car naturally moves more and the Mm. weight transfer ends up being, let's say, more, it affects the car a lot more. So you have to be extremely consistent. And I think that's probably one of the areas where I've had the most struggle is to be literally doing the same bloody brake shape every time. And the worst thing, when when I come in from a practice session or a quality and I look at my corner and I look for lead pace and I see, look, there's a tenth there. And you're looking at the brake shape from far away and you're like, it's the fucking same. <laughs> 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 and then you zoom in and you see that there's two bars difference at this point, And that allows him not to lock the front wheel when I sort of have a micro lock. So the car doesn't rotate and he gets a better exit. I'm just like, what the fuck? how do you expect me to figure this out whilst I'm driving around? Like, <laughs> that's, what, that's what kind of blows my mind is yeah. that there's all these finite differences. Yet You're sitting in a car that's vibrating, shaking. It's like how I, I don't get, yeah, I don't. I don't credit to you. Like, I, don't, I don't know how you do it because the the level of like I get it in a simulator because nothing's moving, but you're in a car that's shaking, vibrating in real life with real G force. Yeah. Yet you're expected to manage these brake pressures by just I don't get it, man. You look crazy. I don't, and it's, <laughs> and it's so frustrating because like <laughs> I, I've experienced it to a tiny, tiny, tiny degree. When at, at oh, here we go. Here well, we you, go. Uh, Tom, you you do a bit of karting every now and again. You know what it's like, and you've karted with some good people. So like, I followed um, Max Chilton around a go kart track once, and Max, by his own admission, he's he's never going to be world champion, but he's still a top top quality driver. So I was following him. I was following his lines. I felt like I was breaking in exactly the same place, and he just disappeared. I'm like, what am I doing wrong? I put it down to weight because I'm heavier than him, obviously. But um, but it, I was tr- I was I was literally studying what he was doing, and he just disappeared. Like there's there's things that you guys do that I just cannot wrap my head around. It's it's extraordinary. Um, anyway, let's talk about the future. So next year, presumably another another season of F2. Um, the long term plan. Let's cut to the chase. It's got to be Formula One, isn't it? Every every driver is going to tell you that. You ask any driver in this in the sort of single seater like Formula One ladder, they're all they're all going to tell you F one. I'm more of a how do you call it? A realistic guy in the sense that I know that there's only twenty seats, um, and that nowadays you need you don't only need talent, you need luck, you need money, you yep. need a whole bunch of things behind you to sort of get you there. 
So, yes, that's my goal in the sense, but I'm also open to doing something else because I know that endurance at the moment is becoming massive again. Yeah, Loads yeah. of manufacturers yeah. going in. Uh, Formula E is good in the sense that I don't think that the car is extremely quick still. It's 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 not bad, actually. When you look at it around the, around the Monaco track, it's sort of similar to the Formula Renault sort of times. Yeah. When you think the car's electric, it's not terrible, especially since it's running on road tires, which, are, which is something I'd like changed. But, yeah. you know, yeah. Not alone. But in the end, I think that um, overall, there's loads of opportunities out there, even IndyCar. So, yeah. yes, Formula One is my target. But put it this way, I wouldn't be one of those drivers that spends an endless amount of time in Formula 2 to try and get that F1C at some point, knowing that, man, there's so much more stuff that you can do in racing. I, as long as I race, I'm happy, if you know what I mean. Sure, yeah. the one's probably the bollocks and it's fucking fast round corners and you love it. But I think I also quite like the challenge of working with three other drivers in endurance, for example, because you're not just there driving yourself. You're having to set up the car for three blokes making compromises and so on. So it's, I, I would say that probably endurance would be my second pick behind that. Okay, interesting. Because I, I think, yeah, as long as, I know, for example, like the Red Bull Academy gets a lot of stick, but at the end of the day, they've supported so many young drivers to have careers in motorsport. And I think beyond F1, just because you don't get to F1, like there's plenty, like it's like saying, oh, well, if, if you're not, a, you know, if, if you're a footballer and don't play for your country, then like you've not made it. It's like, that's a load of bollocks. Like there's so many different ways. I was chatting to her at Miami, actually. I was chatting to Tatiana Calderon and she was saying about how the Indy cars, they're like, <clears throat> it's such a visceral, much more raw experience than typically you get in Europe. Um, and obviously Callum's gone over there, um, <clears throat> Christian Lingard as well. So I think Indy would be, because uh, I think as well, as the profile of F1 grows, I think all motorsport benefits for that. Yeah. And like you say about um, endurance racing with Ferrari jumping in now, we've got Peugeot, we've got loads more works entries. I think it's a really exciting time to be a young racing driver, mate. I, I think there's there's going to be even more. Like we, we, took, we have this conversation again in five years, there's going to be even more opportunities. Yeah, mate, I've seen the change because in the end, I'm not uh, Netflix, you know, I like watching Netflix and I have to say that Netflix has changed motorsport in the sense because there's a load of load of things that happen around F1 that sort of made it grow but the biggest thing was the audience on Netflix because people realized holy shit that's actually quite interesting. Because yeah. you ask someone to rate to watch a race, they're going to stand in front of the screen for an hour. Like a, a complete like someone who's never watched racing before. And they're just going to be like, well, what the fuck's going on? Like, you end up just seeing cars go around. Unless you tell them, look, on the side, that's the leaderboard, and they're on softs, and he's on hards, and so that's mm -hmm. the difference in grip and so on. You, you just put a guy in front of the screen, they're going to be like, well, what's going on? I have yeah. no understanding whatsoever. So the fact that that series sort of helped explain Formula One at the same time as be, being behind the scenes and knowing the personalities of the drivers. Man, it grew so much. Like five years ago, I walk into a, a restaurant or a bar and I say, hi, I'm a racing driver. Mm. People be like, cool, mate. <laughs> Crack on. <laughs> now, yeah, like, the, the, the interest has gone through the roof. I mean, you see it all the time now. Like you say, you walk into a pub or something and have a chat with some random and, um, and, and suddenly Formula One is a topic of conversation. People want to mm. talk about it. I'm definitely noticing that more. And, and you know, Tomo mentioned um, the, the, the sort of the, the revamped interest in things like WEC and IndyCar. Like IndyCar seems like it's going through a bit of a resurgence. I'm a massive IndyCar fan. And WEC with these cars, like that Peugeot that you mentioned, they, these cars, these hypercars look so cool. I mean, they're incredible machines, and that's a very good um, championship to place yourself in. So, so all very good options. Um, let's talk a little bit more about Formula One. Um, we're on the summer shutdown as, as at the time of recording now, so all the teams have buggered off on their their lovely three week holiday and re recoup and re R and R before the second half of the season. What do you expect from the rest of this year with with Mercedes finishing quite strong, Lewis Hamilton seemingly getting to grips with his car? What do you think is going to happen for the remainder of this F one season? I think in that sense, I think Merck can, I don't know if they can win, you see, because I think that the gap is still extremely big between Merck and, uh, and, and the rest. I mean, I mean, Ferrari and Red Bull. I think they are extremely strong. And if they can come back 
if Leclerc can Verstappen crash, for example, I would put Lewis as the next guy to be to win the race. Mm-hmm. And I hope for him because it'd be quite cool to keep that record of winning every single year mm-hmm. that he's been in F1. But um, man, I'm not like I wouldn't say I'm either a, a massive Verstappen fan or a massive Leclerc fan. I like them both. But if that Ferrari pit wall doesn't sort oh, it out, disaster. I think I think it's gonna go Red Bull's way. Yeah, it, it it feels like it's a. This is the first, but it's eighty points now between Max and, and Charles, and and I, you just feel like it's probably gotten away from them. But also, like as as a racing driver yourself, like do you find it? And obviously, you're on the F two cards, so you're following the kind of circus around. Like, is it how easy is it for you to follow the Formula One results when you know you're there that weekend? You've got you're you're working, you know, on a lot of these weekends. Does, so, do you still find it kind of easy to keep up with what's going on in the end um you you don't really care so much as as so for the f1 because you're you're sort of there doing your own thing so Mm. normally on saturday we have our race right after the qualifying so in that sense you're you're getting prepared and so on and say you're done your all your preparation and so on you're just trying to relax for the last half an hour before stepping into the car you can watch quality you watch Q3, but man, for the race, I'm out. Yeah, like, yeah. I need to get out before the traffic starts. Because, man, after a Formula <laughs> 1 race, I have never been to a tra- I love Paul Ricard, right? Oh, the traffic. The statistics there are so fucking bad, man. Yeah. On Saturday night, after my race, which was just post-qualifying, what is normally a half an hour drive down into Toulon to my hotel took me an hour and 45 minutes. Yeah. I wanted to shoot myself as I got to the hotel lobby. Yeah. I was like, I'm going to have a nice dinner at the hotel right by the harbor. Enjoy like a, a nice meal. Go to bed early. Man, I finished my meal at 11 o'clock at night. Yeah. Oh, like, my God. No, it's a disaster. The, the, the logistics around that race are, are horrible. And it, it doesn't seem to get any better. Yeah, no, year after year, it doesn't get any better. Um, but they haven't done a Silverstone where they've literally built a motorway to the track. Yeah. Yeah. They, that's what they probably should do, but yeah, I don't, I don't know if it's going to stay on the calendar. But it would be something that they should consider because it was awful. Yeah, I mean, so many are. I remember the first year, show my age, the first year in Abu Dhabi, two thousand and nine. I was living out there. I was part of the the setup of that racetrack, and the traffic there was horrendous, way worse than France. But it does improve over time. But they just Paul Ricard doesn't seem to change. It's a bit like, like Tomo was uh, in Miami as I was, and and there it was pretty chaotic as well. Like the whole logistics around that circuit. It was bad. It was a it was a bad experience being at that racetrack. Okay, on a car park. So how do you expect to have that many parking places if you've literally used them all? <laughs> yeah. 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 You know? yeah, I've got an idea. Let's build a racetrack in a car park. They should they should have built an extra level above the whole track. So yeah. literally park above. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> makes perfect sense. I actually there was one um, question I wanted to ask Clem, and it's kind of related to what we talked about, but. In, in terms of the, the profile of the sport growing, and obviously you've gone, you know, through the junior categories, you're in Formula 2 now, you know, your name's more known. How have you, and I've always wanted to ask this question to kind of a young racing driver, it's like, how have you been prepared for the exposure? Obviously, you've got, you know, significant following on social media now, people know your name, you, you're more likely to get recognised. Just a, a, as a human, as a person, um, how have you found that? Have you found that difficult to to kind of get on top of or manage, or has it been gradual enough, I guess, for you to kind of, you know, fall into it nicely? You know what I mean? I, I haven't really felt that big of a change because in the end, I'm not, I'm not one to focus on those things so much. Like you talk about social media, I'm not going to lie to you. I have someone do it for me because I fucking hate it. Like I, I hate my phone. I don't, I don't, I'm not really on my phone that much. I, I knew you didn't do your own social media because I, I looked at your Instagram yesterday and it's very curated. Like it's lots of pretty <laughs> pictures of you in a race car walking down the paddock. I was like, hmm. There's no, there's no, there's no pictures of Clem playing the golf. Brand. Yeah, the brand. Is the brand. It's the brand, yeah. No, yeah. So in the end, I sort of, I mean, I do, I do see a change sometimes in the sense that people who, you know, you might not think about, for example, in the F1 paddock, you're walking down the F1 paddock and you meet someone that you've never met before and you expect them to be like quite a big person in the sport, say like a team manager of an F1 team or so on. And you tell them your, ne- that your name and they're just like, oh yeah, I know. 
uh, it's it sort of like <laughs> I guess that's pretty cool in that sense. Yeah. But at the same time, uh, I'm just myself in general, so I don't really change my approach to when I do an interview or anything else. So even meeting fans, I just you know. I, if I go to the pub and meet some bloke and I'm having a pint, I'll speak the same way to that guy that some guy asked for my autograph. Yeah, yeah, that's good. So. Yeah, don't don't ever change that because it's it, no. you, you get these um, media trained drivers who are just so dry. And it, you know, even on a podcast, and we've had it with certain people where a podcast should be a place where you can relax and talk about what you want and act how you want because there's no legislation, there's no there's no restrictions. But people still are so highly media trained that they just they just won't open up. Um, That's what and, yeah. me, and, uh, me, me and Marcus Armstrong, we started our own thing where we bring in drivers. Yes. We sort of tell them, basically, it was meant to be about food, but it's kind of just a chat shit podcast where you're just like, <laughs> there's very little talking about, there is some talking about racing, but it's mostly fails and bloopers rather than your actual wins and so on. Yeah. And then we end up just talking about what happens what happened on our last night out or yeah stuff that's, like that's that. the, the behind the scenes stuff which is interesting yeah 100%. but that's a, i i think that's what gets the most out of screaming meals isn't it uh, i i was watching some of it yesterday actually um yeah and, and i think you know i don't know like media trading is all well and good and i'm sure we've all heard the pr 63 memes around george um but at the end of the day i just think when you're real and, you know, you put yourself out there and, and you're talking to very open. Like, I think that's what, you know, I think that's what the people want to see. I, th- I think that makes, you know, drivers more relatable because, you know, we're all guilty of putting athletes and people we watch on TV on like a pedestal as these. But actually, like, we're all just human beings. We're all just doing our, our thing and we're all, we're all just like, you, it just happens to be that your job is something yeah. that's on telly. You wouldn't believe the um, the the experience I had when I, like, so I was in I was in um, Barcelona last year in in uh, and our first race I think for the yeah the sprint race or the reverse grid was right after F1 quality and Lewis pulled it and I'm sort of normally you drive to the pit lane but this time they were just pushing the cars and I was just walking along the the, the grid or the paddock or the pit lane and the F1 cars were still there and they were doing their post quality celebrations and everything and I'm sort of seeing a few drivers and so on, a few that I know, you know, like the clerks and all of that. We've grown up with these guys. They were in the paddock when we were young, so it's nothing special to see them. Mm. But I'd never seen Lewis Hamilton, and I was like, bro, this guy is God. <laughs> like, he is God as a racing driver. And I walked past him, and I was like, he's just a normal bloke. Yeah, He looks the same as me. He's about my height, you know. He's nothing like... Firstly, yep. I thought he was much taller than he is. And then... <laughs> Yeah, I sort of walked past him and I was listening to his conversation with his engineer and I was like, bro, he's literally chatting exactly the same thing as me. Yeah. I was like, bro, it's no different. Like in the end, those guys, yeah, they are put on a pedestal. And as well, at the same time, by just looking at them on TV, say you have never gone to a race, but you're a massive yeah. fan. You probably think of them as like, you know, they walk in the paddock and it's just like, there's, there's, there's like oh. a rainbow behind them and yeah. they've got some halo above their head. <laughs> yeah. You know, they do carry an aura, though. I think, like people like Lewis and you know, other, like Nico Rosberg um, and others like that. When you meet them, they do have this, like you have this kind of like, Whoa, like this. but that's because yeah. that's because you know who they are. That's because yeah. to you, that, that that's the the significance to you. But there could be someone who who's never watched F one before, yeah. has never heard of Lewis Hamilton, and is just a is just a bloke. Yeah, yeah, and he is just a bloke. But he's you know, yeah. and and he's. He is just a a normal guy, um, I, but I guess he's he's, you know, one to one. He's going to be a little bit standoffish, probably, because I expect he's had a lot of experience of people trying to you know befriend him purely because he's you know oh, a legend course. in racing Absolutely. and he's got you know millions and millions of pounds in the bank, so he's going to be a little bit awkward. And he, when I met him, I, I was it was in a work capacity, and um, you could tell he's a bit standoffish. And also, it was for a sponsor, so he didn't want to be there. So he, he was clearly, you know, like, let's just get Fair this enough. over with and, and let me go home. Um, no, we're quickly running out of time, Clem. So um, we're going to come on to our, our final three questions, which we ask all of our guests. And these are brought to us by our current sponsors at Motus One. Go and check them out, motusone.com. Um, I'll kick off 
this week. Uh, what's got you excited at this very moment? Doesn't need to be racing related. It could be absolutely anything. Premier League starting this afternoon. Yes, it is. Pretty damn exciting. Yes. Hey, 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 Come on. I, uh, I don't Come know on, if you like this, but I'm a big Chelsea fan. Yes! Bro, why? Yes. Why am I outnumbered, man? What yes. is this? So am I. Good man. That's what we like. Oh, what's going on with, um, is it Cucurella from uh, Brighton? Is that is that through yet? Or He's done his medical. Well, he's doing his medical, I think, today. So it should be done deal. Should be. Okay. Okay. There's a kind of whiffs of Oscar Piastri in terms of the, the statement Brighton power. I don't know if you saw it. Um, <laughs> they were like deny yeah they were denying the Fabrizio Romano um, tweet around it they were like no this is like it's nothing's happened fake news I was like Fabrizio is normally on it but yeah he, he might have Usually. done it off the <laughs> <laughs> I think it will go through eventually it, look, it looks like it Brian Brian would just Brian just, added, Brian just wanted some clicks on Twitter I think <laughs> have you got your fantasy team sorted I got mine done yesterday I have not. No, I, I don't take enough time. I don't have enough time to do that stuff. Anyways, my, 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 I mean, I love football. I watch it all the time, but I don't think I'd be a great manager. So, <laughs> fantasy stresses me out, man. It, it, it makes me like, I'm, I'm, I'm ended up like supporting Tottenham players. Like I'm a West Ham fan. And yeah. I'm like wanting, I'm like, exactly. what am I doing? Why do I want Harry Kane to score just because of a stupid well, yeah. internet game? Yeah. <laughs> uh, our second question, Tommy, I'm going to come to you on this one if you've got it to hand. Go on then. Right, Clem, what does success mean to you, mate? Success. Success? Well, it can mean a, a wide range of things. I mean, in terms of results, it's being the best and doing doing your best. I think more doing your best than actually being the best. You, you can be successful without actually being the best at what you do, as long as you've done your best and you've maximized everything. Um, but I think success in life, is being able to do what you love. Brilliant. I think that's the most uh, the most Amen. important because in the end you never end up working a day in your life, which is sounds like success to me. Look at Amen. you. There's a Amen. philosophical brain in there. I'm telling you. Um, our final <laughs> question for you: uh, What are you scared of? Um, Chelsea's upcoming season. <laughs> it's going to be fine. Good. Don't be scared. Be afraid. No, no. What am I actually scared of? Uh, <laughs> Uh, snakes. Nah, I don't mind snakes. Mm. Don't mind snakes. Interesting. You couldn't hold a snake then? No, no way. No? I couldn't even get close. <laughs> I'm just, just in the zoo whenever it says like sort of snakes bit. Okay. Just, I'd never go there. Mm, I don't mind it. What, what did Bro, you you're asking, you're asking to be pranked in the paddock with like a fake snake now, putting that out there, just saying. Yeah, probably. Yeah. It's probably going to happen. <laughs> no, I'm not going to What was yours, Tomo, when you when you came on as a guest? Cockroaches, on... man. Cockroaches. Cockroaches. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I can't, I can't like, just did the thought. I saw one in like, in a beef like a few years ago and it was massive. It was the size of like my hand and yeah. I, I almost shat myself. It was honestly, like, I'll never forget that. And they're, they're indestructible, which makes them even more terrifying. That makes it more terrifying. They can <laughs> yeah. survive like nuclear radiation or something. Like, <laughs> it's crazy, man. Can they actually? I think so, yeah. Yeah, like, they're, they're, they're mad. They're mad. Insane. Um, anyway, enough cockroach chat. Clem, um, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. Uh, it's been long overdue. I know I've been trying to get you on for a little while um, and, and diaries keep colliding, but we've, we've finally done it. Um, thanks so much for joining us. Best of luck for the rest of this year, for your future. Hopefully we'll see you in a Formula One car or WEC or IndyCar in the not too distant future. But for now, Clem Novelak, thank you for joining us on the Motormouth Podcast. Thank you for having me, guys. Thanks, everyone, for listening to the podcast. Before you leave us, one final reminder to check out the guys and girls at Motors One, your new transportation solution for minor, mega, and signature events anywhere in the world. Motors One simplifies the complex process of event transportation and provides clients with unrivaled service and support to ensure your event transportation needs are fulfilled. Check them out today at motorsone.com. And if you tell them you found them through the Motormouth podcast, you'll get up to 20% off your first booking. 
Thank you so much for listening to the Motormouth podcast. Do make sure you give us a follow on our socials, Twitter at Motormouth underscore, Instagram at Motormouth underscore official, and Facebook, just search Motormouth. You can also download the Motormouth app where you can get exclusive video content from MMTV, create your own social profile to interact with other fans, and check up on all the latest happenings with whatever motorsport takes your fancy. We're also proud to be supporting the Brain Tumor Charity too, so make sure you check the links in the podcast description to find out how you can help cure brain tumors quicker don't forget to like subscribe and review and until next time you've been listening to the motormouth podcast Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.